And uh, it is a special thing when that kind of experience happens that we actually have a gift that's been made for us. And somebody has taken the time to do it. So as we read a little bit of the Christmas story this morning, I want to tell you about somebody who prepared a gift long time before. But I want to get these words into your mind because these are the words of Scripture. And this is from Luke chapter 2. And we read, beginning in verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, imagine this. We've all had, I think, the experience of being in a very dark place and suddenly somebody shining a really bright light on us. And we can't see, and we're startled, we're unsettled, maybe we're even afraid. But imagine living in a time when there were no spotlights, no headlights, and suddenly, boom, in the middle of the night, you have this incredible flash of light. That would scare you silly, wouldn't it? So that's the experience of these shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the promised king in the line of David, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. What a strange thing. Here is the king lying in a manger. We'll come back and talk about that just a, a, a little bit. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. The best version of the hallelujah chorus that there has ever been and that there will ever be. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Lord, help us to understand your word. Help us to draw sustenance from it. Help us to hear and respond in loving obedience. Amen. So we have this amazing thing. Now, we've all seen or maybe participated in Christmas pageants, right? In fact, you're going to probably have one in uh, a week or so, right? And uh, are you going to have an innkeeper, a grumpy innkeeper and that kind of thing? Okay. So I am about to disillusion uh, you maybe a little bit, you see? Because <clears throat> where we read, there was no room in the inn the actual word, this is a Greek word, kataluma, which simply means extra room. I was staying in the Gray's extra room last night. 
But you see, in a typical peasant home in this area, everybody would be essentially living in a single room. And the uh, human creatures would be living on a platform. And where the doorway is, you would have a lower entrance. And that's where you would bring your animals in at night, you see? Because you didn't want to leave them out overnight, so you just brought them in. When it got cold, it was kind of nice to have a little additional organic heat in the, the room. And on the edge of the platform, there would be a manger, a hollowed-out place where you would put the feed for the animals, you see? And because there was no room in the extra room, Mary had to deliver in the main room of the house that they were in. Now, you can appreciate why it would have been really nice for Mary to deliver in the extra room for privacy and other uh, concerns. But there wasn't. And so Mary delivered in this room. There are some other explanations, but that is actually a pretty sensible one that makes sense because you can actually even find peasant homes today that are just like this in the area. So, what a crazy thing to think that you have this amazing announcement from heaven about the one who is the promised coming king, and he is born in a peasant house, and he's laid in the food trough of the animals. That does not make sense to us. And you might ask, well, why in the world would it be shepherds? If there is going to be a big announcement, where do you think it should be made? It should be in the king's palace, right? Why isn't it the high priest that is getting this information? Why is it the shepherds? Well, for this, we're just going to take a minute and do a little Bible study, and we're going to go back about 1,800 years before. We're going to go back to Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and we're going to go to Genesis 35, and we're going to see there a reference <clears throat> to Bethlehem. In fact, in Matthew chapter Two, there is a reference to Bethlehem, and we'll bring you up a little bit in, in history. You understand that we are now going back about 3,800 years. That's a pretty amazing uh, time trip that we're taking right now. And so I'm reading now in verse 19 of Genesis 35, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem, over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. By the way, you can go and see Rachel's tomb today. Amazing. <clears throat> Israel moved on again and pitched his tent over Migdal Eder. Where in the world is Migdal Eder? Doesn't make it really high on our tourist destinations. And Migdal Eder is just actually on the perimeter, just outside of Bethlehem. And Migdal Eder means the tower of the flock. That's all it means. Because you see, shepherds would build these watchtowers to help watch the sheep. But this one has been around a long time. It is a landmark in Bethlehem. How old is it? 1,800 years at least, you see? So it's been around. Does Coquitlam have any landmarks? 
If you're going to show me around, would you say, oh, this is what this is, and this is why it's there? No landmarks. I learned some local uh, inside knowledge today when the announcement was made about the Poco Rec Center. So if you, if you told me that, and I wasn't in Port Coquitlam, I would have had some real trouble. But see, that's local knowledge. And so what I want you to understand that this issue of Migdal Eder is local knowledge that the shepherds would have known, okay? So, now let's slip ahead, because we're going to go all the way to about 700 B.C. So we're still pretty far back, but this is in the book of Micah. And in the book of Micah, we have the uh, prophecy that is referred to in um, uh, Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, you remember that the wise men come to Jerusalem and they say, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And so they gather the wise men together and they say, well, here is a prophecy. And Matthew cha uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrata. Now, did you see that anyplace else? Yeah, you saw that back in Genesis chapter 35, didn't you? Through you, uh, though you are small, among the clans of Judah, out of you will come to me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And you see, this was about Jesus coming. Now, <clears throat> do you think that these shepherds would have known about this? Of course they would have known about this. This is about Bethlehem. This is about where they live. And in that culture, understand that virtually everything was tied up with Bible knowledge. They didn't have a thousand newspapers, a thousand or a million different books. What they knew was their heritage. And they also knew about Migdal Eder. So, just go back a little bit in Micah to chapter 4, verse 8, and there you will see that there is actually a matching prophecy about Migdal Eder. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, that's Migdal Eder, you see? It's just that in this case, the translators have translated into English, and in the other case, that they didn't. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, do you think that those shepherds would have known about this? Absolutely. This was local knowledge. So why did God decide to reveal himself to these angels, uh, to these shepherds? <laughs> Sorry to these shepherds because they were watching the sheep in the vicinity of Migdal Eder. And there's one more piece of information. And you may say, man, you're telling me a lot of things that I don't necessarily want to know, but I'm just telling you about how God really prepared in advance the special gift that he was giving at Christmas time. This was not an accident. God was at work in a very special way, preparing the gift that he wants to give us, the gift of love. And so <clears throat> he comes to these shepherds, and what sheep are they looking after? Because, you see, there's actually a ban on raising sheep 
anywhere near Jerusalem because uh, animals would make you unclean, you see, and you didn't want to be unclean. The only sheep that were actually kept here were the sheep that were actually sacrificed in the temple. So these shepherds were actually serving the temple, you see? And so they were preparing the sacrificial lamb. Where does Jesus come? He is our sacrificial lamb. So God was preparing in a very special way his gift of love. And you know that in the Christmas story, very quickly, we see that indeed through Jesus, our salvation will come. He is the savior of the world, we're told. And Mary is told that a sword will pierce your heart because of what will transpire with Jesus. Now, this is why at Christmas time we talk about love because God has given us this wonderful gift of love that he has prepared long before and that he proclaims in such a dramatic way. And so you read in, in uh, Luke chapter 2 all these wonderful signs, the angel, the light, the choir, and then this baby, this baby of all things in a manger. Why in a manger? Why not in a palace? Because, friends, most of us don't live in palaces. And this is good news for everybody, including the refugees. And, in fact, thousands and thousands of those refugees are coming to Jesus. And you will want to pray specifically for them and think about them particularly because they are in double jeopardy. Because they are now no longer part of the mainstream, and they are, uh, in fact, there's open season on a lot of these folk just because they have decided to follow Jesus. So please, as you are listening to the Lord, that you will respond in the way he wants you in this matter of refugee sponsorship. So where does this love come from? Well, it comes directly from the heart of God who does not leave us in our despair but breaks in in light, breaks in in hope, and gives us this gift. And so we all know John 3.16. We quote it so often that we've lost the sense of its power. God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son. And there's a promise attached to it that anyone who puts their trust in him will receive the gift of eternal life. And we know that that's qualitative as much as it is uh, quantitative, that it has to do with how it changes our lives here and now. It is the gift that God has given us. And so we have a gift of love. And so now we're just going to look at a few scriptures about Jesus and love because this is entirely the message of God's love. He taught us about a way to live that is unique. This is the nature of the kind of love that we see revealed in Jesus. He says in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, do you like that verse? I find it hard, don't you? I don't want to live like this. I would prefer to punch out the guy who gets in my way, right? 
But you see, this is the nature of the gift that God gives. Because if God was going to punch out anybody, he'd punch us all out, right? Because that's what we deserve. He modeled love. He brought hope to the people on the margins, the poor people, the hurting people, the refugees. He healed the sick. He cured the leper. He gave sight to the blind. He raised the dead. He had time for the children. And when his disciples wanted to push the children off, saying, he's too important, what did he say? Let the little children come to me. That is the nature of the, God, of the love that he modeled. He spoke about the unique love that he has with God the Father. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands, and he commands love of those who follow him. A new commandment I give you, love one another. And this is not simply an emotion. This is intentionally doing good to others. That's what it is. And thank God for what you are doing in doing good to others intentionally, learning to be like Jesus in this way. As I have loved you, he says, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he inspires love in us. The Apostle Paul's life was turned right upside down so that he says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that Jesus died for all. And we know that our Savior gave his life so that he came to this earth in order that he might die in our place. And so this is what we read in 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16, but 1 John the first letter. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Now, James, I've just met you this morning. Would you lay down your life for me? You'd have to think about it, right? Two or three times. I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> you see? Now, who would you lay down your life for? Okay, You might do it for a family member, right? For a good friend. But it'd still be a really tough decision, you see. But what we understand from Scripture is that while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were not interested at all in Jesus, he laid down his life for us. What an extraordinary love this is. Not only this, but he empowers love. Now, we know that no follower of Jesus is perfect. We serve the one who is perfect love. But there is a common thread that runs throughout uh, the last 2,000 years that followers of Jesus, by his power, are able to love in an extraordinary way. And so I'm going to tell you a story out of India. I was speaking at the Punjabi Christmas Outreach uh, yesterday at uh, Bear Creek, and what a wonderful time we had together as there were folk who loved Jesus and there are folk who are still on the journey towards Jesus and to share something about this. But Dr. Graham Stewart Staines, in, in January 1999, he and his two young sons, 10 and 6, were sleeping in their car. They had served in India for many years in doing leprosy work. 
showing the love of Jesus. Some militants came along and poured gasoline on the car, and they were burned alive. What a horrific story. What a horrific story. It took the Indian government some time, but eventually they ended up awarding Gladys Staines, the wife who survived, the Distinguished Service to the Nation Award because finally they recognized that it was the love of Jesus that had done something extraordinary through this couple from Australia. But here are the words of Gladys Staines. She said, I forgive them because I have first received forgiveness from Jesus. I have encountered the presence of Jesus in my life, and this is the spirit that I share. Where does that come from? Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord of love who was born in that simple major so many years ago. Now, in our news, we regularly hear stories of what crazies are doing, except they're not crazies. They're people like you and me who have lost their bearings and who have not been willing to embrace the way of Jesus. And let's recognize that that kind of thing is in, potentially in each of our hearts. And we've heard recently about this mass uh, killing spree that happened. And I'll just go back a little bit further in this year, June the 17th. You may remember this, South Carolina. A fella joins a Bible study and prayer meeting in a church in South Carolina. He's a white guy in a black church. And after spending an hour or so with them, he pulls out a gun and begins to shoot them down. And 10 people died that night. This man, Dylan Roof, was brought to court, and something unusual happened in this first hearing. The chief magistrate, James Gosnell, called out the names of the victims one by one, asking fam family members to step forward if they wished to deliver a statement. The first to speak was the daughter of Ethel Lance, and she told Dylan Roof, who appeared via video conference, that she forgave him. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never be able to hold her ever again, but I forgive you. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. May God forgive you. Where does that come from? It comes from the heart of God. It comes from the empowerment that comes in living in the way of Jesus. Anthony Thompson, husband of the slain Myra Thompson, said, I forgive you. My family forgives you. We would like you to take this opportunity to change. Change. Confess to the one that matters the most so that he can change you. And she, he was talking about Jesus. Felicia Sanders, the grandmother who shielded her five-year-old granddaughter from the gunfire but lost her son, told Ruth that the parishioners welcomed you Wednesday night at our Bible study with open arms. And then with tears, she said, you have killed some of the most beautifulest, that was her words, beautifulest people that I know, and it will never be the same. But we said in the Bible study, we enjoyed you. May God have mercy on you. Alana Simmons, granddaughter of victim Daniel Simmons, 
Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived and loved and their legacies will live on. Hate won't win. This is the gift that we have received that was given to us by our God and this little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. <clears throat> a relative of the pastor said, I am a work in progress and I acknowledge that I am very angry. <laughs> yes, it's good to acknowledge. But she went on to say, we are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. This is the gift of Christmas. It's more than a feeling. It's more than an attitude. It's about a living relationship with the living God in Jesus Christ who came, who lived a life doing good, who was crucified and died, and who after three days rose again and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen? And who has sent us his spirit so that we might be alive in him until he comes again and be finally caught up into his presence. Now, I have followed Jesus for 51 years, and let me tell you, it's been a blast. And I want to tell you, he's never disappointed me. I have failed him, but he has never failed me. And for those who don't know Jesus, I invite you to come and see, to experience his forgiveness, his hope, his joy, his love. And for we who are already on the journey, why not reaffirm your love and commitment to him right here, right now? Because to live with him is life. It's eternal life. It's abundant life. It's the life that really makes a difference in this world. If, and if this world needs anybody's message, it's the message of Jesus. Amen? Not only about refugees, but about your family, about your neighbors, about your marriage. This is about experiencing the love of Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus. Because let's face it, there are some pretty tough situations where we would rather just lash out in anger or bitterness. But when we do it in Jesus, he helps us to do what we cannot do ourselves. Lord bless you as you celebrate him in this wonderful season this season of light, this season of love. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel ministry that takes us, yes, across this nation, and we're so glad for what God continues to do, but also around the world and some astonishing things that God is giving us a privilege of partnering in. God bless you.